Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, midweek, mostly quiet action in grain and livestock trade, leaking lower with a lack of fundamentals uh, to really support the market overall on the day Wednesday. Let's talk about it here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. And uh, again, just kind of leaked lower with a lack of fresh news to drive the market. Uh, Chicago wheat saw more sales to China of SRW wheat on the uh, daily wires Wednesday morning, and that was largely supportive of wheat but we finished off the highs just kind of held us around unchanged to slightly higher meantime a little bit of pressure in soybeans uh, that kind of pulled on the corn market too largely just a uh, quiet day with uh, lack of fresh news allowing the market to uh, go to the downside in grains cattle more volatility there more triple digit losses crept in uh, late in the session on wednesday and so uh, the uh, the roller coaster ride continues, so to speak. We're going to talk about the market trade on the day Wednesday coming up here. We'll sit down with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics and get his thoughts on the market action midweek. We got that December WASDE report coming up on Friday. Typically, the December WASDE report's a non-event. There's really no changes. Uh, the trade is not expecting any changes this time around either. But uh, no doubt it's something to think about here ahead to wrap up the week. We uh, We'll probably talk about that a little bit and just talk about the general money flow here in the markets or lack thereof with Mike Zuzalo coming up in segment two and three today. So looking forward to that. We'll also have a look at some of the latest news headlines uh, before we wrap up the program today. Uh, so stay tuned for that. we got some comments on South American weather conditions uh, with Dr. Michael Cordonier from Soybean and Corn Advisor. We'll listen to that and more coming up here in segment four today. First up, though, let's get a few market thoughts with Mark Lucas from Stonex uh, for our uh, midday commentary. He sat in for Arlen Suderman on Wednesday. I talked to Mark uh, around the noon hour and got his thoughts on the general quietness uh, in the trade in grains and oil seeds and energy crude oil uh, trading down two to three percent on the day. He talks about that impact as well. Here are comments from Mark Lucas of Stonex. It is pretty quiet. Um, I think a lot of people also looking forward to the USDA report that comes out on Friday. And in terms of, uh, you know, the U.S. carry out and so forth in this S&D report, very, very minor changes are expected on that side of things. The main focus on this report on Friday is going to be uh, the South American crop and how things are shaping up there. You know, weather-wise, uh, so talking with some of our folks in, in uh, Brazil here this week, and, you know, things have really come along nicely in the last couple of weeks. Places that needed rain got some. Uh, areas that were too wet 
uh, they're starting to get things planted and that type of thing, uh, albeit late. But, um, you know, his comment was 85% of the area is in really nice shape uh, starting out here. So uh, still the the precipitation totals, you know, aren't there. But, you know, we got to keep in mind, look at the western Corn Belt last year. Precipitation totals weren't there, and look at the crop that we got. So, um, you know, I think that's in the back of people's minds, and uh, they're curious to see what the USDA does with the uh, South American numbers here on Friday. I know, too, crude oil's down uh, two, almost 3% here on Wednesday. wonder if that's maybe acting as a little bit of a headwind here for the grains and oil seeds. Could very well be. Um, you know, there were some uh, Department of Energy uh, numbers out here this morning, and uh, we saw some pretty decent uh, gasoline stock builds here this month. And seasonally, you know, you do see that, uh, you know, for November here, but uh, I think that probably added to it just a little bit. And, you know, like the only positive thing I really saw this morning, uh, it's third day in a row we've had some uh, flash sale announced uh, to China, uh, third day in a row on hard red winter wheat that they've made some pretty big purchases. And, uh, you know, the crop year runs through May for wheat. And, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, China has already booked uh, more wheat than uh, what they did for the entire crop year last year. So that's kind of a positive thing. And then for that reason, we're seeing the uh, Chicago wheat uh, staying a little on the plus side here. So they also did book a little bit of beans, a uh, small jab of beans for China for this crop year as well. So those are kind of the, the two positive notes for today. And once again, that's comments with Mark Lucas from Stone X in for Arlen Suderman for our Wednesday midday commentary and talk to uh, Mark around the noon hour Wednesday. That was his thoughts on the market action I mentioned those comments uh, from Dr. Michael Cordonier earlier uh, before we listen to the Mark Lucas uh, comments. And, and I want to get to those uh, right now, actually. I was going to save them for the end of the show. But Brazil's current round of soybean planting also including some soybean harvesting as well. Dr. Michael Cordonier of Soybean and Court Advisor, Inc. says the current harvest is 83% complete. Which is very slow. And in fact, they're harvesting and planting soybeans at the same time, which is very unusual. They started harvesting some soybeans in Monte Grosso last week. Now, these were soybeans planted on September 1st. These are cotton producers who were given permission to plant their soybeans a couple weeks earlier than normal. So it's a very small volume. But just the fact that they're already harvesting at the end of November is kind of unusual. What's left to plant is up in northeastern Brazil, where it's been dry, and way down in far southern Brazil, where it's been wet. So it's been a very slow end to Brazilian soybean planting. Cordonier lowered his Brazil soybean harvest prediction by 1 million tons to 157 million. A bigger story might be the second corn crop in Brazil. I lowered that number 3 million tons today to 118. Everybody says they're going to plant less suffering your corn, reduce the acreage at least 10 to 15 percent. Some people say 40 to 50 percent, and everybody says we're going to spend less on the suffering your corn crop because it's going to be planted late. The weather's kind of erratic, and there might be an early end to the summer rainy season, and corn prices are lackluster in Mato Grosso, so no one wants to risk very much on the suffering your corn. And he says the erratic differences in weather between areas in Brazil are very unusual. 
last couple of years have been droughts. Droughts in southern Brazil. And last year, Argentina had a historic drought, you know, the worst in like 60 years. And now this year in southern Brazil, extremely high amount of rainfall. So extremes in both parts of the country. Southern Brazil is getting like three to four times the normal rainfall. Whereas up in central Brazil, they're getting a fraction of the normal rainfall, at least up until about a week or two ago. It's getting better now, but it was very extreme in October and early November. Well, after a massive drought last year, Cordonier says the weather is much improved in Argentina. The soybeans right now are 44% planted, corn 32%, both on the slow side, but it's improving. I think they are going to switch some intended corn acres over to soybeans because soybean prices are better. And once again, that is comments with Dr. Michael Cordonier from Soybean and Corn Advisor Incorporated. And you can get more information. Just go to soybeansandcorn.com. Of course, uh, we'll continue to watch the weather in South America as we move forward. I know the forecast right now looking uh, okay. A little bit of, uh, in the immediate term anyway, things are looking wetter in the extended forecast. And that should help out in uh, parts of Brazil um, the southern part of Brazil continues to see too much rain, though. They could stand a little bit of a break. But traders, no doubt, keeping an eye on the forecast in South America here as we move through the month of December and into 2024. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk more about the markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. He's our guest analyst on the way here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Let's get it. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, when the dust settled on Wednesday's trade midweek, things looked relatively quiet in the grains and oil seeds. Just seemed like we lacked a fresh story to uh, keep the market elevated, and we kind of just leaked lower throughout the day in the grain and oil seed trade. And also, cattle fell apart uh, mid-session and more triple-digit losses seen there. We're going to talk about things as we dive into the markets and have a conversation with our good friend Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us here on market talk once again this week mike good to catch up with you hope you um had a great thanksgiving of course and uh you know looking at this market trade mike it's uh just another day of quietness and grains kind of just let the market drift a little bit lower throughout the day yeah we had some friction that, that came into the market here midweek even though we saw some more purchases by china of soft red wheat and even some soybean purchases as well but the general trend continues, Jesse, heading into Friday's WASDA report of the, the funds, I think, coming in and unwinding their long protein, short grain mindset that they built up this past year for the most part. And I think that makes sense from a standpoint that the cattle and the soybeans um, have both had a common mindset to them that they were very tight in supply and their demand was not being rationed as prices went up. And that was, that hit the market pretty hard in 2023. And, and now in the last oh, three or four weeks, if we didn't have weather to support us when it came to the South American soybean crop, um, we've seen a general trend where the hogs, the soybeans, pork and bean trade, along with the cattle have continued to see leakage. And, and 
we're bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. You know, the, the fats and the feeders are back on major support, but we really are just spinning our wheels here at this point as we, I think, unwind some fund-related uh, spec trading. And I, I know cash markets are not developed as well as we'd like in the cattle, but I think in general, um, the market is just kind of going through its end-of-the-year mindset at this stage with the support coming in the wheat and the negativity still kind of present with China. And I think that's that's the things that we have to keep contending with. Let's pick this apart a little bit more. And you brought up China there and uh, all great points. I, I'm on the track with you. I, I think it's a lot of end of the year type of trading already coming into these markets. Uh, we've seen China, though, the one bright spot the last couple of days, they've been buying more SRW wheat. And so let's talk about that a little bit, but also uh, pull up our first chart on the video feed. Uh, we've seen WTI crude fall back here, another 2-3% on Wednesday. You're looking at a relationship between WTI and SRW here. So talk to me about what you're seeing right now. Yeah, this goes back to the, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, the S&P, GSCI Commodity Index, all the major commodity indices that, you know, you have a lot of energy weight to those indices. And so you can tell, I think, and infer by this chart where the crude oil is making new five-month lows, led by the RBOB unleaded gas making new 2023 lows today. Um, and copper making new two-month lows this week. I think you can infer by this chart that with the soft red wheat is finding support from the Chinese business. It's not finding it from an overall commodity friendliness or a desire by the funds to buy into this market. And this does, I think, go back to the Chinese, specifically what's happening with their hog herd, the fact that Smithfield is now being shut down in Utah for essentially with another, what, 26 uh, production facilities being announced to go down and be idled. And, and then obviously the, the debt rating cautionary tale from Moody's uh, earlier this week, yesterday, in fact, where they kept the debt, debt rating the same, but they said a negative outlook. And so I think that's what's splitting this market up. Well, and I want to look as well at the global wheat uh, futures. Uh, I know we talk about that quite a bit and how that's playing into things here in this wheat market overall. And Another chart you provided for us. Uh, what are we seeing on the global front? Because I don't, you know, China's in here buying U.S. SRW wheat, and heard some talk they they've canceled some French wheat orders or at least put them on hold, things like that. So, what's going on on the global front here, Mike? Yeah, I think quality is the name of the game right now with the United States uh, soft red wheat. I, I have heard that they're in the Pacific Northwest looking maybe at white wheat as well, high quality. Um, I think the other thing goes back to what we and I have talked about pretty frequently here recently, Jesse, and this is the idea, idea of, an, of a thaw between the United States and China when it comes to their trade relationship, agriculture at the forefront of that, thankfully, since the San Francisco meeting of the two presidents. But I, I very rarely make a plug for setting up a trial or becoming a subscriber or client, but these are the kind of charts that you get to look at all the time. Um, when you work with me. And this is kind of the global picture um, streamlined out and, and you can bleed through all the noise and just look at where the prices are in this market. And one of the comments I made earlier this week to Reuters, I believe it was, was that we are seeing this uh, Russian price and this Ukrainian price really come up since late September, early October to the tune of about 20 to $40 a ton. That I think has meaning to it. And it's and, and I think that's part of the equation too, is that we are, I think, tightening up some supplies in the Black Sea 
And while China buys Russian grain out of the Black Sea, um, the, the wheat purchases typically go through the train and the rail. But I think they work off of each other, generally speaking, because of arbitrage. That's what this chart is about, is the arbitrage. And when you look at the orange line, that's the USSRW, um, you see we're back up close to $275 a ton. We're inching up towards Australia's prices, and we're well above now the green line, which is Argentine wheat, and we're also well above uh, the French wheat price, which is the red line. And so I think this is one of the supply-demand fundamentals that would kind of give you an idea that today's price action probably was going to create some headwinds if the wheat and the corn didn't play ball, and especially if the Black Sea prices and, and if the, uh, the European French prices didn't really play ball with you too. Now, we talk a lot about wheat being the upside leader, and I feel like the recent uh, rally in SRW wheat has been supportive to the U.S. corn market to some degree. So let's segue into corn and talk about that a little bit. I'll pull up a uh, world corn chart you're sharing with us here today. Walk us through what you're seeing here and talk about your, your thoughts, if you believe as well, that wheat's kind of been supportive to corn here. Yeah, I think it has, but I think the delivery process was also very supportive. And so in that respect, both of these things were something I was hoping for well, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we talked at the NAFB, and, and that's transpired, thankfully. Now, I think we need to start watching the corn a lot more closely. I say that because the rally in the corn has really not manifested itself into a higher price at the Gulf of Mexico, and that's your bold red line. Um, you're talking about around $201 a ton. Notice the big jump in the Ukrainian corn price from about $115 all the way up to $153 here just in the last two last quarter uh, here during the fourth quarter. So what this chart suggests to me is if we don't get a negative USDA WASDE report on Friday, I think that the corn exports could go up again on the Friday report and maybe take us close to a $2 billion, if not below a 2 billion bushel carryover. And if we don't have a negative reaction from the WASDE report on Friday, and we've got the wheat that's rallied about 90 cents a bushel off its lows, but the corn has not really rallied at all. And you see that the funds are at a three-year peak in terms of net short position. I think this is where the corn, the next time we go higher in the wheat or the corn, I think the corn may have some real legs to it. Uh, and with corn, you mentioned that that net short position. I wonder if we could see a little bit of short covering rally here in the first couple of weeks of December. So, uh, you and I were talking about this before we went on the air. I feel like a lot of funds uh, are kind of positioning themselves, are going to do their best anyway to position themselves in these grain markets ahead of the Christmas and New Year's holiday, Mike. Yeah, I think so too. And I think this goes back to what the commitment of traders, when you and I talked in the very first few minutes about the funds positioning at the end of the year, it I don't want to oversimplify it, but they have been so long, the cattle, they have been so long, the beans, and they've been so short, the wheat and the corn. So that rebalancing, I think would make sense as we get into 2024. Why? Because maybe China does want to buy some U.S. corn. Maybe they want to buy some French corn and, and, and along with the wheat. And if they do, then that starts to give the idea between the wheat and the corn purchases, if that would happen, of a demand low. And I think that's what I'm really looking for here as we go into 2024. And if we have a demand low in the grains, why would you want to be net short? And I think that's really 
how I look at it. But we have a big roadblock right now, potentially, and that is the WASD report on Friday. It's typically not very friendly to the wheat and sometimes can be pretty unfriendly to the corn as well. It's, it's most of the time, based upon my recollection of 2023 and looking in, in the rearview mirror, uh, most USDA reports, WASD numbers have been more favorable to soybeans. So we'll see what the USDA gives us. Well, once again, we are joined today and having a conversation with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. And coming up, we're going to talk about the soybean trade. We haven't got there yet. Want to talk about cattle, too. Another rough day to the downside in live and feeder cattle. We're going to continue our conversation coming up after the break here on Market Talk. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk with analysis of Wednesday's trade action. Mike, one other thought I have in corn I wanted to ask you about, and I think this can go uh, help us segue into soybeans too, uh, basis feels like it's gotten kind of sideways here in corn and beans in the short run. I feel like, especially in the corn market, though, basis is probably going to take over and do the heavy lifting here regionally. W- would you say that's maybe the case as well? Yeah, I think so. Other than the fund positioning, I do think the cash market is absolutely critical here. I'm hoping the Mississippi River levels go up with some of the rainfall we're seeing. I did see this week where the Cincinnati and Memphis, excuse me, Cincinnati and uh, and yeah, Memphis basis levels for corn, we're starting to perk up, starting to see some ethanol plants maybe perk up a little bit. But yeah, I think that's a really key uh, piece of the puzzle when it comes to the overall corn price dynamic. You know, we've talked about before, Jesse, the idea of March corn getting up to 520 to 540 to make some more hedges. I got some more soft red wheat hedges and hard red wheat hedges made today. Uh, for 2023, doing some catch-up selling. I would love to get some 2023 sales made in the corn here in the next 30 days with the help of that cash market. Let's talk soybeans, Mike, and uh, let's look at a world soy chart as well, kind of the same as we did with uh, corn and wheat here today. Uh, soybeans, I know we've uh, we've broken through some key support, that psychological 13 mark on the board that's been a point I've been watching. Your thoughts with uh, soybeans right now and uh, U.S. competitiveness right now? Yeah, this is a really tough market right now because, yes, we've gotten some better weather in Mato Grosso, the northern parts, the center west area of Brazil, but we're still way too wet in the south as I see it. And, and I think numbers, generally speaking, are coming down for both corn and bean production for 23-24 by the privates. And some are as low as 150, 151. I still am at about 156 and a half on the soybeans. This chart's kind of a two-part chart because you notice the Brazil price, Paranagua, Jesse, we talked about this a few weeks ago and the vessels being backed up. And this may be being one of the big reasons why we've seen China come in and buy beans consistently. 
that 464 a ton price versus where it was back in late October, early November of over $500 a ton after spiking, I'm not so sure that's not because they're still having difficulty with their transportation logistics, uh, buyers having to pay demurrage because they can't get the vessels in. And so that's something to really watch here along with the WASDE report is I'm really wondering whether that 464 uh, in the Brazil Paranagua port price isn't kind of the bottom of the barrel as far as prices going forward here. And we're not making a low. And here's the, the vessel lineup in terms of where we're at with Balkers right now. And you can see right in the middle of the screen, the Paranagua port. And you can see a lot of ships there. And then outside Paranagua, quite a bit still, I would call backed up, not as bad as it was a month ago, but still looking pretty heavy at this point. So I'm just kind of signaling a warning flag that maybe that 464 Paranagua price, while the trade sees that as negative because it's much lower than the U.S. price now at the Gulf, maybe that's got some uh, infrastructure and supply chain issues wrapped up in it. So let's keep an eye on that. Good things to consider. Good things for sure. Let's move over to livestock trade here, Mike, and I'll pull up our Final chart on the video feed today, uh, feeders and fats, uh, just another rough day on Wednesday. Um, I know we've been trying to make sense of this market as much as uh, everyone else has been too, and I think I'm, I'm running out of uh, things that make sense to me in this cattle market, I guess, best way <laughs> I could put it, Mike. But, uh, talk to me about uh, this chart and, and your thoughts. Maybe, maybe you have better thoughts than I do in terms of this cattle market right now. No, I'm beginning to think that cattle are made up of half rubber, half stone, because one day they bounce like a ball and the next day they sink like a rock. I, I, I continue to think that we're getting very heavy negative news out of the hog complex. And we got new news from China's big hog producers early this week. And as I said at the top of the show, we got fresh news that we've got issues with the Smithfield shutting down more production here in the United States. That just ends up being more liquidation and more pressure on the beef side of the equation for the consumer uh, side of the equation, I think, in the trades mindset. So I think it's given the funds a green light to keep selling rallies at this point. But this chart right here is an overlay of January 24 feeders compared to January 15 feeders. And I like that correlation between 14 and 15 with what we're dealing with right now. And you notice that we have now gone back down to the lows. Um, we've tested the lows from uh, last week. Um, we're also now at the lows again from where January made their major lows in the month of December, only later in the month. Notice that the January 15 feeders went off at about $214 a hundred weight and we're sitting at 210. Midday today, we're at 215. So I, I will reiterate what I've told you before. I think we're very well balanced in this market. I think the fat cattle have a better rally potential than the feeders um, because we have, I think, worked through quite a bit of cattle. But having said that, I, the feeders led this market lower. I think they're going to have to bottom first, and that's what I'm watching for. Last thing I'll say is the WASDE report for the cattle could be every bit as important as for corn, wheat, and beans because USDA last month gave us a Q1 average price for 2024 of 185. Are they going to stick with that even though we're almost $15 below that on some of the recent cash trade? You mentioned some of the negative news in the hog market too. I just want to ask you about that. I know the China news, I'll throw in there too. 
uh brazil found a case of classical swine fever i saw that in the news headlines wednesday morning i don't know how much impact that'll have necessarily but hogs uh just feel like to your point that had quite a bit of negative news hog market here in the u.s futures at the cme largely been kind of mixed here it feels like uh, the last few sessions mike I agree. And one of the things that I've been noticing is the the national pork price average carcass price is around $54. And yet that December hog futures and the cash index are upwards of 66, 67 plus. And that bothers me because I, I really wanted to see the seasonals kick in for the hams. They have, but they really haven't affected the cutout as much as I'd like them to. So I, I continue to see the cattle and the, excuse me, the hogs and the equities as the most negative features to potentially the cattle market and as well the the currency markets and the import uh, numbers coming in from Australia and Brazil when it comes to cattle. But I continue to feel as though hogs in and of themselves, I thought that we would have a low by the time we got to the Dece hogs and pigs report. I'm now wondering if we can make a low because are we still liquidating here in this country? And are we also liquidating or getting ready to liquidate in China? And I think that's at the heart of what's going on in the livestock market right now. Well, Mike, let's put a bow on it for today's show and uh, wrap it up. Final thoughts, anything else you want to mention to folks or reiterate today? I would say that we could continue this market rally in the grains if the WASD report gives us the ability to do that, Jesse, because I do think we are a lot different in sentiment of trade versus where we were three weeks ago. Um, I would also say to the energy traders out there that I would be looking maybe at a low in the crude oil, especially as we get into the end of this month, first of next month, um, between the dollar, I think, needing to go another leg down, and also the fact that we have now taken out some major support and back to $70 in crude, I think OPEC will continue to ration supply even though we're pumping up the volume i think they'll continue to ration supply and keep this market in balance and then throw in the middle east um, i think another 15 30 days we should have some uh, long positions maybe in place in the crude oil market well mike if folks want to reach out and uh, find a trial of your research and analysis give you a call I, I, that phone's been ringing which is i like to hear that that phone's been ringing it's a busy day there at global commodity analytics today if folks want to get a hold of you mike on the phone or online how could they reach you my friend yeah best place is to go to globalcomresearch.com globalcom with two m's research.com you can sign up for a free trial i'd love to hear from you too there's a toll-free number on that website as well Fantastic. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk, and we will talk to you again next week. Appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks for having me. And once again, Mike Zuzalo there with Global Commodity Analytics. Find him online, globalcomresearch.com. Let's look at the closing numbers from Wednesday's session. December corn was down three and three quarters, 464 and three quarters. March corn, six and a quarter lower at 484 and a quarter. Soybeans, January 10 lower, 12.95 and a half. March down 11, 13.15 and a half. January soybean meal down 9.30 a ton, 408.50. January soybean oil down 92 points at 49.34. Chicago wheat, December 5 lower, 6.15 to three quarters. March was two and a quarter higher, 6.33 and a half. July Chicago wheat uh, down three, 6.48 and a half. 
KC wheat December six and three quarters lower, six fifty and three quarters. March down six and three quarters, six fifty six. July KC wheat down six and a quarter, six sixty three and three quarters. Spring wheat December eight lower, seven oh seven. March was down eight and a half, seven thirty and a half. And July spring wheat down eight and three quarters, seven fifty one. We saw March oats down 19 to three quarters at 372. Canola 10 to 15 lower on the day. Over in the cotton market as well, March cotton, we saw that up 7.7975. Livestock trade, live cattle December up five, or down 505, excuse me, 163.45. February live cattle down 542, 163.55. April lives down 482, 166.67. June live cattle down 357 at 164.27. Feeder cattle January 455 lower 21015. March down 572, 21175. April feeders down 572, 21565. Dees hogs up 72, 6755. February hogs down 5, 69.30. April hogs down 15, 75.95. And as a recap of Wednesday's closing market information, we'll be back to wrap things up here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program today. Brought to you by our friends at Growmark FS. You can find your nearest FS retailer, all the services they offer, and much more. Just go online to fssystem.com. Again, that's fssystem.com as you're making uh, decisions for your 2024 growing season uh, seed and other inputs. You can uh, reach out to your local FS retailer and find out what they can offer you. And again, more details at fssystem.com. Once we take a look at some more uh, news headlines before we wrap up today's program, there's regulation in the works right now that will have an impact on farmers' wallets. Mary Kay Thatcher, Senior Manager of Federal Government and Industry Relations with Syngenta, says the Environmental Protection Agency is under the gun to abide by some Endangered Species Act requirements. In order to meet those requirements, the EPA is creating a pesticide regulation. The new framework would essentially require farmers to gain points through conservation practices in order to get herbicide. Now, Thatcher says farmers and agribusinesses need to keep their eye on where this proposal is moving. She says it could have an even larger impact on a farm's bottom line than the farm bill. Syngenta and all the companies like mine are working diligently with the farm groups to try to get this stopped. And, you know, whether it's environmental groups or farm groups or companies like ours, everybody agrees we have to do something about the fact that FIFRA, the statute that regulates pesticide use, and the Endangered Species Act often collide and something has to happen. But the reg is just overkill because what they do is they come out and they say farmers will do at least four mitigation practices if you want to use this pesticide and you're in an area of one of 27 endangered species. But they're also very clear that this is a pilot program and they'll go from 27 endangered species to 1,600 endangered species. The mitigation things are expensive. It's like you'll put in a cover crop, you'll have a fairly wide buffer strip, uh, you'll put in vegetative tillage, you'll reduce pesticide usage by 40%. Really things that are going to cost farmers a lot of money. 
Well, implementing the mitigation efforts before you know if anything happens, Thatcher says, is not acceptable. Because farmers could live under these mitigation practices for three or four years before you ever find out if fish and wildlife is going to say the endangered species is a problem. So we have to backtrack that and find a way to slow the lawsuits, but to indeed not say we're going to mitigate just because we can. We also are trying diligently to sort of educate EPA about some things. I mean, one of the provisions in the bill says that if I want to use a pesticide on my farm, I have to go to the local Fish and Wildlife Service three months before I'm going to apply the pesticide to get permission. Well, how do I know what pest I'm going to have three months down the road? So there's a lot going on just trying to educate EPA. I mean, there's another provision in there about, well, if the weather service says it's going to rain 48 hours before you're going to apply, you can't apply. Well, really? You know, if you say that, shoot, they can predict it's going to rain for three weeks in a row at my farm. It never does. I could have applied it, but now they've put off the ability to apply the pesticide for three weeks. Well, the framework is currently in a comment period. It is such a complex regulation. Um, it's not simple to understand, and it's hard to get farmers to really focus on it. Again, as I said, people want to look at the farm bill, but really, if you want to look at something, you better pay attention to what, what's happening at EPA. And what I do is I encourage people. There is no way the average farmer is going to read this regulation and be able to understand it. So you need to pay attention. You need to either join your, your farm bureau, your corn, your soybean, your wheat uh, trade groups, and let them help you understand what it is and help you find ways, whether it's to write a comment letter, whether it's to talk to a member of Congress, etc. But we have got to do better about getting the word out about just how awful this could be for, for farmers. Well, and once again, that is Mary Kay Thatcher from Syngenta. Well, it's well known by now that the U.S. cattle herd has been shrinking for the last several years. However, livestock liquidation is also happening in other countries. Brett Stewart, founder and president of Global AgriTrends, says there are many examples of smaller livestock production overseas. Australian cattle and sheep have been in liquidation. They have shrunk that herd. Their prices have been dismal. Margins have been negative. Brazilian cattle, our estimates are that slaughter will be down 11% by 2026. Chinese hogs, disease issues, weak demand, oversupply, they have been losing money consistently now for nearly two years. They will be in liquidation. They probably are right now. China hogs, the largest hog base on earth. The second is Europe. They've had significant liquidation. They've liquidated double digits in their swine herd. Their production is now down 8% year to date. The global protein space, livestock space, is all in liquidation at the same time. And it's not just the U.S. beef herd that's contracting. U.S. hogs, financial losses, eight now, nine out of 11 months. Hogs and pigs report showed very slight liquidation, but we are going to accrue losses over the winter and continue to liquidate. U.S. chicken, you can see the processor losses. Those publicly traded companies have been losing money, 10 out of the last 12 months. Egg sets went negative in September. They're starting to tighten the supply. A shrinking protein sector around the world isn't good news as the global population continues growing. We are shrinking global protein production all over the world at the same time. means there's probably some profit out there, right? We're going to fix this thing and we're going to learn to deal with inflation by tightening supplies and raising the costs. And once again, that's comments with Brett Stewart of Global Agri-Trends. Well, also for the second month in a row, farmers' sentiment improved as the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer climbed five points this month. November's 12-point rise in the current conditions index to a reading of 113 
was primarily responsible for this month's sentiment improvement as the index of future expectations only improved by two points. Both sub-indices exceeded their year-ago levels in November. The current conditions index increased by 15%, and the future expectations index was up 11% compared to November of last year. The improved perception among U.S. farmers regarding their farms, financial condition, and prospects contributed to this month's more positive sentiment reading. The Farm Capital Investment Index also rose during November. Other respondents who said it was a good time to invest were more likely to point to rising dealer inventories of farm equipment as a reason than strong farm cash flows. Farmers continue to be relatively optimistic about future values for farmland as the short-term farmland index held steady while the long-term index drifted lower. And that is a look at news headlines here on the program today. Coming up tomorrow on Market Talk, we will look at the markets with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. And we'll also have a conversation with Lance Zimmerman from Bank, looking at their latest global pork quarterly. All that more coming up here tomorrow on Market Talk. Thank you for joining us today, as always, and making us part of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. Have a great one. We will talk to you tomorrow. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.